Nicole Brandon, and welcome to Passionate Living. We have such a special show for you today. As the world right now, our hearts are open and there is so much care. It's a perfect time to talk about love. It's a perfect time to talk about the quality of life and the bridge from this world to the world beyond. And today's guest is going to talk about something extraordinary and something that we usually back away from and shy away from and something that's very fragile and tender to all of us, which is the process of death and dying and how in the light of that, we can honor that, we can offer joy to that, we can offer care to that and a new paradigm for really being able to live life to its fullest and celebrate death as well. And so today we're talking about Shelley Lizen. And Shelley, thank you for being with us today. This is, I think, one of the most important subjects that anybody can talk about at any age. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Nicole, for having me. Uh, I'm very passionate about talking about this subject and I know it's challenging for many people, and um, but my sense is when we look at life through the lens of death and dying, then we actually value our life and living even more. It's so beautiful, you know, to talk about it that way. And why do you think people are afraid to talk about, I mean, even to create a will, even to be able to talk to their spouse or their mate or their children. It's almost like a taboo subject, but yet each and every person on this planet has a doorway open and a doorway in which they leave. And it's a subject that's just not discussed. And I really don't understand why. You know, it's interesting. I think it's built into our particular society. Um, I know that other societies, they don't have as much charge around it as we do. And other cultures throughout the world, um, they actually revere the whole process of life and death and revere the people who are living and revere the people who are dying. And they treat their dying people very differently than we do in a lot of respects. And I think that my sense is that we're afraid because of the unknown. We don't know what it is. So, and it's an end to something that we think is, is final. And because we're, we're in a body, and because we're in this physical body, we can, I'm tapping my arm right now, and I, I feel something push up against my hand when I tap. I can feel something there. If you... If you tap the air, there's nothing coming back at you. And so it's that vast unknown that, that we're afraid of. And we don't talk about it, even growing up as part of life. Maybe people do when they have animals that die. So they have an opportunity to talk to children that when their little doggy died or something of that nature, then they start to kind of get in touch with that. But when you think and you treat it as a forbidden subject, we're, we're kind of brought up to think it's not okay to talk about, that it's morbid, that it's maudlin, that it's horrible. And look, I am not saying it's not horrible when we lose somebody that we love, because love 
is the strongest emotion we could possibly have that gives us a sense of well-being. Love, we are capable of love so deeply that when we lose somebody, it hurts so deeply, we think we're never going to get over it. But the, the flip side of that is that we have the ability to love that deeply as a human. So it's kind of mixed and complicated. And it's certainly not cocktail conversation, although I would like to make it part of our everyday conversation so that we're not so petrified. And the point about looking at life from that lens is that when we're afraid of death or anything for that matter, it doesn't matter what we're afraid of. We're just walking around with a fear. And my, my contention is that if we just talk about it, we won't be, uh, we're kind of releasing the pressure cooker and we don't feel the fear so much. And then we can prepare for a different way of looking at that experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you talk about love. I was watching uh, the late show, Stephen Colbert's video, where he was saying that to love, <laughs> that love is a verb. Yes. And to love means to do something. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so profound because mm -hmm. when we love someone, to do something for them, to mm -hmm. assist them, to care, to nurture, to guide, mm -hmm. should be the most natural thing in the world. Mm-hmm. 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 So well, you know, the, I'm yes. sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I mean, I love this idea of loving. To me, that's what it's all about. The bottom line is love. There, there is nothing else really other than love that will bring us the greatest joy, that will bring us the greatest fulfillment, that will bring us the greatest love, love, love. I love this idea of love, being able to talk about love. It's, I mean, I, I really believe that that's the answer in being able to share and being able to give. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. People, I, this is what my experience has been. When you talk about love, sometimes people think you're, you're talking woo-woo language, you know, but love is a practical thing. It's, it's a state of being, it's a verb. It's an all-encompassing way of existing. When we look in, through life with the eyes of love, we look at life very differently than with the eyes of resentment or anger or bitterness or regret or judgment. All of those words, what do they make us feel like? They don't make us feel very good. They make us feel bad when we walk through the through life with the eyes of fear, then we're fearful of what's coming at us. Then we even look at death as something coming at us, not a natural part of our creation. We were created that way. It's not an abnormality. The biggest cause of death is birth. The biggest we cause of death is what? Birth. We are created that way. We're mm. created with both 
five, life is but a breath away. One yes. breath, one teeny, tiny, little breath de- determines life or what we call death. Who's to say that we're not birthing a new life at death? Yes. Who's to say? I absolutely love that. And as we talk about love, Shelley, I wanted to, you know, I know that part of the process in which you work and Mm -hmm. your teaching and your guidance and your workshops, and I want to get into all of that, is being there for somebody. And Mm -hmm. as we talk about love, you know, when we're born, we don't come in by ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a mother there. There's and so when we leave or when we're being born into this new world, having assistance or having someone there for you mm-hmm. and to be there with you instead mm-hmm. of being alone. Can we talk mm-hmm. about that process a little? Absolutely. So I want to relate it to a story which actually brought me into this field and. It was a story of a friend of mine who was dying of leukemia. And she asked me to move into her home with her, her husband, and her son. And they did not have hospice. So I lived with them about a month before she died. And all I can, I'd never been exposed to anybody who was dying in that way. And I had, I've had training with shaman in Peru, with swamis in India, with rabbis, all, all about conscious dying. I, I've, I've gone through a lot of training, but I didn't really understand why I was seated to do that kind of training. But here it came that I was plopped into her house, into her beautiful home in Beverly Hills. And all I can say is grace, that sumptuous, beautiful, delicious guide called Grace came through me to help them navigate through that experience. And what I learned in that is that people can prepare for such a journey when they make it intentional and they bring the sacred into the journey and they bring honor and dignity and regard into the journey of embrace by love, encompassed by love, and and twinkled and sprinkled with ease and grace and healing. When we look at life as every experience infused with a healing, then the feeling of love can exist all the time, all the way through to the end of life. And that's exactly what happened when her body released. And I said to the housekeeper, get a bucket of soapy water and some towels. We're going to clean her up. She's not going out this way. I felt like a midwife, exactly what you said, Nicole, that at the beginning of birth, we have a people around us, whether it's a midwife, whether it's a doctor or nurse, it doesn't make any difference. People assist us. Now, if you went to Asia or you went to Africa Sometimes they're just in the fields. They give birth. They put the baby on their back, and they continue working. I mean, every culture has something different. But when we birth here in North America, then we have a team of people around us. We have a midwife. 
even though a doctor may not be called a midwife, they're a midwife being the birth of that child, the spirit. They're waiting patiently for the spirit to come through that body and take its first breath. We do the same at the end of life. That's when I realized I was a midwife just on the opposite side of the spectrum, that I was waiting patiently, holding the space for that spirit to go out and maybe into something else. But we don't know about that something else necessarily. That's not the point. The point is that we hold the space for that spirit to go out with honor, regard, and dignity, just as we do holding the space for that spirit to come in. It's no different. We're created that way. Why not honor the last days of someone's life in the way we honor the first days of someone's life? Does That's that make sense? Absolutely. It's so beautiful. And I just wanted to backtrack for a minute. You said that, mm-hmm. you know, some people don't have hospice care. For those mm-hmm. that are not familiar with that word, and I know that's confusing. Mm. People don't really know what is hospice and do they have choices and when people are in the hospital, I, I would just love it if you shared a little bit about what the word means and what that looks like. And can anybody have hospice care? Anybody who uh, the doctor wants a doctor prescribed um, that really there's nothing more medically that they can do to save one's life than or extend one's life. And the person and the doctor feel, you know, then they want comfort care. It's like there's a couple of things called palliative care, which is comfort care. It's not to cure, it's to comfort. And the same with hospice. It's to to make the those days, those months, and sometimes when the funny thing is when somebody gets a, um, released from the hospital and they're put in hospice. Now you see the first three letters are the are the same. Hospital, hospice. It comes from a word, um, gosh, I think it was in, in the English language, mid-century England. I've got to look that up for a minute. But it, it means um, guest. It's both hospice. It's like a hostel. You know, when you go to a hostel, it's, a, it's an inn. It's to invite people in. It's a, it's a place to, to be, to live, to be. And hospice is a way to embrace the guests, but, and, and they're a host at the same time. So they come in. Hospice is the most incredible concept that was really made, uh, invented, if you say, I mean, in England, and was brought over here in 1977 in Connecticut, I believe it started. Um, but uh, it, it, they're a team of people. It makes it patient-centered care. Well, you have a team of people. You have a social worker. You have a doctor. You have a nurse. You have a uh, nurse's aide. You have a chaplain. Um, you have all these people caring for one person. Very different in a hospital where you have the, the doctor who's taking care of this medication and um, they're, they're taking care of different parts of the person but hospice takes care of the whole person, the whole person. And that they're, they're patient-centered. 
And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. They will take care of medications, your pain control. They take care of um, uh, washing. Once you know, I'm not saying it replaces a uh, 24/7 caregiver. That's a separate thing. But the but the philosophy is to support and provide care for the persons in the last phases of an incurable disease so that they can live fully and comfortably as possible. You know, they recognize that dying is a normal process. Whether or not it results from the disease, it doesn't hasten, it doesn't postpone death. It just exists through appropriate care and the promotion of caring community, which is sensitive to the needs and the patients and the families. Hospital really cares for the patient, but their mandate is to save life. In fact, I think it's 75% of all our medical costs go to the end of life to prolong life, because that's what doctors do. They prolong life, and God bless them. There comes a point <laughs> in time where maybe that is hurting that person and not helping them any longer. If they're going to exist on a life support for six more months, what is that quality of life? So that's a whole nother topic. Wow. That's a whole another subject. Well, that was a beautiful description and of hospice and explanation, and I so appreciate that. And I know that we're jumping to a break, and when we come back, I'd love to talk about your work and your workshops, and you've really created this incredible forum and space for people to be in their hearts. And to yeah, learn yeah. and to erase fears and barriers and walls and be able to step into joy and love and light in a brand new way. So more on Passionate Living with Shelley Wisdom when we return here. Brandon, we are back on Passionate Living with Shelley Wisdom talking about death and dying, life, bridging, gapping, opening your heart. And right before the break, we were talking about hospice care and what that means because I think it's a new word for a lot of people and a new choice mm-hmm. for those of you that don't even realize that you have an option of being able to really, as Shelley was saying, be invited Mm -hmm. in to Mm -hmm. a comfort care. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I can talk from my own experience. I had, I was with my friend who did not have hospice. That was uh, about nine years ago. And, um, and luckily they had the money and the wherewithal to have housekeepers. So the housekeepers, you know, kept helped and everything. Um, and then I have, since that time, been experienced with using hospice services in, in various situations. And I just want to say they are a life-saving 
not only for the person who is dying, but I really want to emphasize is a support system for the family and the friends. And boy, do we need it at that particular time. Sometimes something happens medically, and we're just not equipped as non-medical people to know how to deal with something. And they are just a phone call away, and then they'll tell you exactly what to do and how to handle it, and they'll send somebody over you don't feel alone, not only, and you've talked about that, Nicole, about the end of life, not feeling alone and having a team of people at the beginning, and, and it's important to have a team of people at the end because we, we want to know that we matter at the end of life. I think that's a really important factor. And having a hospice team, which, by the way, I looked it up on the break because I wanted to make sure I was giving accurate information, and it's really derived from the Latin word, which actually means both host and guest, which is what I was saying, because the, the duality suggests that the people involved in hospice work see themselves not only as teachers, but also as students of the dying and the bereaved. We learn so much from somebody who is dying. We learn more than we could possibly imagine when we open our hearts to that experience. And, and um, so hospice... They actually have a medical director, patients, primary care physician, nurses, social workers, as I said, home health aides, volunteers, and spiritual leaders. I want to focus on the volunteer part because that is a very important part. In hospice, a third of their staff have to be volunteers. They, they don't take this lightly. A third of their staff have to be volunteers. Now, That's I, incredible. Wow. It's amazing. Now, people volunteer. They, and what do they volunteer to do? They take maybe the, the family members have been sitting with them for so long. They need a break. They need to go shopping. They need to go out of the house. Sometimes people don't have that. So a volunteer will come over and take that place and sit with that person so that other person can feel like a person and not just a caregiver. It's, it's a very important aspect to take care of ourselves as caregivers. Sometimes we don't know how to do that, and sometimes we don't reach out for help, and sometimes we don't have hospice because we think it's something, there's a stigma to it. And that's my first experience, that at that time hospice had a stigma. But this has really been around since the 1800s in in London, in, in England. And now today there are over 3,500 hospices around the country. Some are in-house, which means you go there and you have a room. And most of them are in home because most people want to die at home. At least they say they do. But here's another um, illustration. The people say they want to die at home and 70% die in the hospital. So our system needs to shift a little bit. And there's different kinds of models for all of that. But um, uh, one of the things I wanted to say in my last experience, I had another dear best friend who was passing away, and we did have hospice. And, Nicole, you were there. I mean, they were amazing. They were, were incredible. They not? Oh, my God. They step in where we cannot step in. They step in to allow us to hold the space for that honor and that dignity and that experience to be the most loving, beautiful experience. And our friend Tony 
when she passed away. I mean, she was all about bringing out humanity. She was a brilliant acting teacher and performer and writer, and, and she believed in bringing out the humanity in people. And that's what the end of life does if we allow it and if we learn how. Because most people are, when somebody is dying in their life, they don't know how to behave. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They're freaked out. And rightfully so because of the way that our society is deathphobic. We're deathphobic. We don't even want to talk about the issue. When we allow the issue to be part of our life and not separate from our life as something we're doing wrong. Oh my God. Then we allow for the beauty of that experience to be okay. That's a whole nother conversation. How we don't allow dying to be okay. We make it wrong. We're all going how do you think, Shelley, that we make from. it wrong? Do you think we we make it wrong in the fact that we don't talk about it, or we make it wrong obviously there's a shame attached to dying? Or... Yes, yes, yes. There's a shame attached to dying in our society. You know why? Because when somebody gets sick, somebody says about them, oh, they weren't strong enough to fight it. They gave up. How many times have you heard somebody gave up? They right. gave up. What does that mean? That means they were weak. That means they didn't do something right to even get sick in the first place. We make sickness wrong. There's shame attached to sickness. When we get sick, what comes up? We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be dependent. We don't want to lose our independence. Something is wrong with that. We, they, they fought the battle but lost. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> what? We're all going. None of us are just out of here alive, for God's sake. I mean, come on. And, and, and that's another issue, humor. We must maintain a sense of humor. All the way through to the end of life. Why can't we have a sense of humor about it? We're gross beings. We're in a physical gross, dense body. We do a lot of things that gross us out. We pee, we shit, excuse the expression, we ooze, we puff. We, we're gross. And we don't want anything to do with that. Ew, it's icky. We place a judgment on that, which brings up shame. What happens when, when we get to a place when we, at the end of our life, and we need to wear a diaper. Do you know what it feels like to have somebody else wipe your tushy? All vanity is shot to hell. Death is, dying is the great equalizer. I don't care if you're president of the United States or you're a janitor. It doesn't make any difference who you are. Somebody at the end of our life is going to wipe our tush if we can't do it. That brings up shame. But look, what do we do at the beginning of life? Is it shameful when we wipe a baby's tushy? No. It's beautiful. Oh, look. Look, they did it. It went in and it came out. The miracle of that. 
if we regard the end of life, it brings me serious, if we regard the end of life like we do the birth of life, the body goes through a labor. It has to break down. It's been living for X amount of years, whatever that X amount of years is. It needs to break down. People think if they don't eat or they don't drink that we're starving them. We are starving them to death. Why don't you give them something to eat? Why don't you give them something to drink? The, the curious part is that the body doesn't want it anymore. So it can do its job. I, know, I don't know about you, but if I eat really late at night, I can't sleep. Because the body's confused. My body <laughs> goes, what do you want me to do? You want me to work and digest your food? And you want me to sleep? I can't do both at the same time. It's the same when dying. The body is doing a job. And sometimes it's like a woman going through labor. It takes time to break the body down. It takes time to an organ to shut down after it's been working for so long. So you allow for that. You hold the space for that with the highest of regard. And you it's like being a cheerleader. Good, good job. You're doing a good job. I love this. This is such a beautiful subject, and I love the way that you're sharing. And I know that we're jumping to a break in just a minute, and when we come back, you know, I'd love to talk about your workshops and your work and how you help people because I think that all of those that are out there listening right now, that each and every person can benefit from your work and benefit from learning how to deal with death and dying, how to be able to be present, how to be able to not be afraid, how to be able to be brave and bold and keep your sense of humor and keep your lightness and keep the joy and the music in your heart and the appreciation for mm -hmm. that. Life. And as you're saying, being able to be a cheerleader on the sidelines for that person as mm -hmm. they're going through this process and everything that they do. And the work that you're doing is so magnificent. And the fact that you are such a genuine gift to be able to take your heart and your spirit and your soul and your time to teach people and guide people and share with people a way in which they can face death and step into death and be there in that circle and that forum in a brand new way. So more with mm -hmm. Shelly Wisdom when we return here on Passionate Living. Passionate Living with Shelley Wizen, talking about the art of death and dying. And it really is an art. It really is something that's so extraordinary and so beautiful. And Shelley, I love the way that you're talking about being there and the cheerleading and the support and the beauty and the grace. 
And is there a way, I mean, really simple things that people could do, whether that's candles or music or tap dancing around the bed or putting Well, you know, that's funny. It's so funny you ask that because I did all of the above. I've done all of the above. When my dad was dying, um, he had dementia. Um, One of the things that's very important is to bring ritual into everything that you do, intentional ritual. You can intentionalize and ritualize anything. And the, jo- and the beauty of that is that you bring a sense of meaning into the experience every time you do it. So um, lighting a candle, but uh, caution to everybody who is listening, do not, under any circumstances, light a candle when somebody's on oxygen. Do not, because you will explode the room. So please, do not do this at all. Do not light a candle when somebody's on oxygen. But... What you can do is, um, since hearing is the last sense to go, you can play music, you can tell stories, you can sing songs. There's a group of people that I know, uh, they do something called sacred singing, where they come around and they sing these beautiful songs that sound very angelic and so on. You might see, here's the thing about death and dying. So you want to talk to people while they're living about what would they dream up if they could have, if they got sick, God forbid, whatever, whatever, if they got sick and it was at the end of their life, what music resonates with their heart? Sometimes I've asked this and, and people say music from their childhood. My dad loved jitterbug music. That was his favorite music, okay? And I had memories with my dad when I was five. He taught me how to jitterbug. So whenever I hear or whenever he hears in the mood, I start to look for my dad. Where is my dad? And I want to do the jitterbug with him. Now, at the end of his life, he had dementia. So I decided, and he felt very unimportant, and he felt a failure. I did some things with my dad so that my goal was so that when he went out, he would feel blessed and full that his life was full and that he mattered, that he meant something, that his life meant something, that it made a difference in our lives. He felt like a failure as a father, as a husband, as a provider. And, and, and he had dementia, so he wasn't all there is what I want to say. But what I also want to say is I made a video of his life. I put photographs and a montage like, you know, one would do usually after somebody dies. But I decided to make one while he was living and put it with various different kinds of music. And I showed him that video over and over and over. And when In the Mood came on, I held his hand and I danced around the bed. So he got to dance with me towards the end of his life while he was dying. People who are dying are still living. They're not dead. They're still living. We need to treat them as living human beings with that their lives matter, that they have a life that was rich and full and beautiful. So and then and we we did everything we could and I, I treated the whole experience as a healing with my dad. And he was a pretty funny guy. He was very funny. I'm gonna tell you a very weird funny story. At when he was still in the hospital, before they said that they couldn't do, that there was nothing they could do because he had a bone spur that was in his throat 
and um, he couldn't swallow any longer. And they said that they needed to take the feeding, you know, they had him on feeding tubes because he couldn't eat. But because he had dementia, they kept pulling out the tubes. And so they said, look, you can either let nature take its course or we can just keep him. And we said, no, we're going to let nature take its course. They took, they took a tube out of his throat because he couldn't, he was unconscious. And they had to sedate him to keep these feeding tubes in him. What kind of life is that? So they took this tube out. And he said to me after he woke up, he said, Shelly, he had this kind of gruff, funny way. Shelly, would you believe it? They took a tree trunk out of my throat. <laughs> Mind you, he had dementia. And I went, wow, Dad, no, I can't believe that's amazing. He said, yeah, they said that thing in the back of my throat, that clitoris doesn't work. Well, I've got to tell you, we laughed so hard. We have it on film. I mean, if my dad had a sense of humor all the way to the end of his life, all the way to the end of his life. So there's no reason not to maintain a sense of humor. There's not a reason to not play music for them. With my first friend who passed away, I not only made a mix of beautiful music, but I did guided visualizations with her so she could practice letting her spirit leave her body so it wouldn't be so frightening. And it was beautiful, and I did this over and over and over. So in that moment, when she went, she you could see the peace that she went. My dad went out feeling blessed, feeling loved. What else matters? And I say, why wait to the last moments of your life to feel loved and to be loving? Do it now. Live your life fully now because life is just a breath away. And that's what I do. I teach people how to do that. I teach people how to live. I'm a life coach and a death midwife, which means I will sit with you all the way to the end of your life and beyond and create a home funeral if that's something that you want. That's something very new in our society. And I want to thank my very dear friend, Olivia Barham, who has a company called Sacred Crossings. And she creates these most magnificent home funerals. And she has an institute where you can be certified as a deaf midwife if this work even remotely interests you. And it, it doesn't interest everybody. But you'd be surprised more and more people are stepping up and saying, I want to know what this end-of-life business is all about because it intrigues me and I'm afraid of it and I want to go into the fire to find out what it is. She has courses that are exquisite. I teach a course through the Twilight Brigade, which is a nonprofit organization geared to train volunteers how to be with veterans who are dying. And I love teaching that course. It's a three-day immersion course, and I love teaching that course. In fact, there's a course coming up, and it's based at the West LA VA, and it's off August. Is that, can I say it? Can I show that? Yes, with absolutely. Please do. It's August 21st, August 19th through the 21st, and it's at the VA. And it's an exquisite immersion into diving in to the whole notion of death and dying. There's experiences, there are exercises, it's informational. So it's left brain, right brain. And believe me when I tell you, and I tell this to people who first come into the class, be ready to have your life changed. 
because your life will be altered forever. And I do not mean that lightly. And it sounds cliche, but believe me when I tell you, it is not. You and walk in we, one way, and you're going to walk out quite another. Can Can anybody come to this course, or is this for anybody, someone who has a family member anybody, that's dying, or they're dying, or or is this for anybody that anybody wants to learn and face breathes. this differently? The qualifying factor is if you breathe. <laughs> if you're breathing, you come, because it's going to happen to everyone. You know, they say, don't reach out to everyone, because then you reach out to no one. But come on, dying, death and dying are the equalizing factors. They equalize the playing field. We're all going to be on that same playing field one day. What different? We've had, we have had in that class 16-year-old kids with their parents, 16 years old. They now have a bucket of tools. That, that they can use in their life, and they've already alleviated that fear factor. I say alleviate it now. Why wait till the end when you're almost, it's too late. Never too late. I don't mean that. It's never too late. But when you're dying yourself or when you have somebody that's right at the cusp, it, it, you, you want to be prepared for that so that you can hold that space for that person to have that experience, or yourself for that matter. I mean, there are a multitude of books out there, and I'm, and I'm definitely going to be one of the, the writers of those books that I'm working on right now. And I'm working on that website. It's not up and running yet, but I have some partners who totally believe in this concept and want to really put it out on a global level. I invite everyone from different cultures, different countries, to submit articles, to submit writings, to submit your thoughts. What what do you do in your culture? I'm so curious to know what you do in your culture. How do you treat the dying? How do you treat the dead once they're dead? Do you zip them up in a body bag and whisk them away and that's it? Wash your hands of it and that's the end of it? Or do you do a home funeral? Do you... Do you bathe the body? Do you honor the body? Do you anoint the body? Do you dress the body? And do you sit with the body for three days as a vigil, holding space for the spirit to leave? Some people believe it takes three days for the spirit to leave the body. In the Jewish tradition, they have something called Tahara, where for 24 hours after someone has died, that they have a group of people that sit with the body. For 24 hours. Some people believe it's three days. You can have the body. The misnomer is not knowing that you can actually have a body at home for three days or more on dry ice and that nothing will decompose and you do not have to embalm the body. Which I know, see, all this sounds kind of weird and gross and some of you are going, ooh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear about that. Ooh, I don't even like that word. And I don't blame you. I have the same feeling until until I had the moment where I actually witnessed someone's last breath. That moment is such a profound gift, I can't even explain it. And for those of you, that's another thing I want to hear about. I want to have a column that talks about who 
what experience you had in someone's last breath. What was that like for you? Wow. There Shelley, are some mistakes. Yes. Thank you for offering that up to people. And I know that we're jumping to a break in just a minute. And so for people that want to tell you about that last breath or want to share their story or want to be part of this work and volunteer or become hospice workers or take the brigade class or even be coached with you as a life coach Mm -hmm. or through the process of death, what's the best way for people to find you and to reach out and to find your work? Here's what I would say for now. I would say go to show, um, go to here. I'm going to give a gift to everybody who's listening, and this is this has to do with the life part of living, and it has to do with the life part of death. Time. Go to souldivingwithjoy.com, and you will be able to download an ebook that I wrote called Soul Diving with Joy. The Three Fundamentals to Being Conscious. Now, I know that's a mouthful, and I may change the title as we go along, but for right now, that's the name of the ebook. And what it does is it really talks about how do we become a human being. And so if you go there, and then I'll give you my email, Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, at Soul Diving institute.com you can email me ask me any questions give me any scenarios I'm happy to answer I'm happy to offer a free consultation <clears throat> for anybody who inquires about this and wow. um, and and then I can tell you all about the coaching and the group coaching programs and so on and so forth that Beautiful. I have. Beautiful. And well, I want to dive more into that in Soul Diving where we return here on Passionate Living with Shelley Wisen. Thank you for being here with us. And we look forward to really stepping into this work. Some days I know that we'll be separated But it won't be because we're out of love Cause love is not a feeling or a fading substance It's a choice to make and not choose us And I'm still... Hi, it's Nicole Brandon. We are back on Passionate Living with Shelley Wisen talking about death and dying and life, and the glory, and beauty, and grace, and cheerleading, and support, music, and laughter, and love, and all of those things that we qualify as a glorious life. And Mm. part of that life is also death. And this is such a fabulous subject, and I so appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. It's such a gift. And right before the break, we were talking about going to your website and being able to, you know, you offer this incredible gift. And we talked about the Light Brigade workshop that's coming up in August, and that's here in California, in Southern California. And we have people listening to the show from around the world. And so for people that are not able to get on the Concord and fly into Los Angeles in August that want to work with you, What's the best way? I mean, do you work on Skype if somebody lives in Malta or in France and they're I interested in this subject? And Yes, I work on Skype. I work on the phone. I work with people all over the place. And um, 
it's very impactful and effective. And I like working on Skype because we can see each other, and it feels like we're we're right there anyway. And even on the phone, you know, it, intimacy is a very it, it is a is a skill that you can allow to happen in a minute, in an instant. It doesn't take long to be intimate with someone. All it takes is that heart connection. So yes, you can go deep and. I can't think of any deeper subject in the world, and if you can, you let me know than talking about death and dying. I mean, really, I mean, I don't know. That's pretty darn deep, so I'm passionate about talking about it because I think we need to let it out of the closet and, and love it up a little bit because once we love that part of ourselves, it's like loving ourselves up because once we put it at bay, we don't want to talk about it, there's a huge part of ourselves that we're denying and then we're not in alignment with our soul and our being entirely if we don't embrace all those parts of ourselves, including that. And there are some beautiful people doing beautiful work in this world. Mary, I, I just learned, uh, heard an um, interview with Marianne Williamson. She just wrote a new book called Tears to Triumph, talking about how we can learn so much from, from the sadness, from, from the depth of our feelings as human beings and and um, it talks about grieving and bereavement and all of that. And we all are going to experience that at one time or another. So let's learn how to navigate that whole thing with as much grace as possible. And as you can tell, I'm extremely passionate about talking about life and living and living fully and joyfully with humor and, and, and adding a sacred to the death and dying experience and and. Because when we show up with honor, when we bring those to the table of our lives, it doesn't matter what we're doing. We could be washing a window. If we're washing a window with honor, dignity, and regard, that window is going to be sparkly. But if we half-ass do it, then how are we showing up? It's the same with everything that we do. And Olivia's work, and I know I teach in her workshop how to write your own eulogy, I do my own workshops on, on My Life Reimagined, how do you use your imagination. So I, I'm a life coach that goes all the way through the end of life and beyond. And, I love um, that. And Shelly, for people that are interested in having workshops in their city or hometown or country, if they're in London or Australia, they're in Arkansas, wherever here, do you fly everywhere and teach workshops yes. as well? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's... you can hire me to speak. You can hire me to entertain your audience. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're incredibly gifted at that, and you have one of the best senses of humor of anybody I know, and it's just so oh, enchanting thanks. seeing you on stage or bright and enlightened anywhere. Thank you. It's always thank such you. a grand gift. And one of the questions, I know we're coming to the top of the show here, that I love to ask people, this show is called Passionate Living. And so what does leading and living a passionate life mean to you? Well, first of all, it's, it's asking your higher self, your soul. The, I, I, I want to base it on my belief is that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And it's the human part that's the challenge to navigate. So um, being in alignment with what our soul's journey is. When we ask the kind of questions, A, what kind of human being do I want to be? How do I want to live my life? When you ask those kinds of questions, you get in touch with what your heart light wants to shine. 
Maybe, maybe in your experience there was a wound that you had as a child. Maybe that wound fueled a passion for helping other people with that same kind of wound. Maybe it's a, a how to find your voice because as a child, I know as a child, I felt invisible, believe it or not. I felt it invisible because I grew up in a pretty horrific childhood where we didn't have freedom to express our emotions. And, and so I walked around pretty invisible. So one of my passions in life is to help other people find their full essence and bring the essence of who they are out into the world so that they live their own passion in life. Does that make sense? That's such a beautiful answer. Wow. That's fantastic. I mean, that, it's exquisite. Shelley, thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for asking these delicious questions. No, I absolutely love this work. And I know you also have another website on death and dying, correct? That maybe people can go and... Yes, it's not up yet, but I want you to watch for it because it's going to be the hub and the forum for everything that we're talking about. And it's called talkingaboutdeathanddying.com. So you look for it within the next month. I think it could be up and running. I think that's exciting because it's so nice for people to have a place to go for answers. Yeah. And a place to go to meet other people in a community that are also yes. looking for answers and to have a resource yes. and, and to have a guide. Because I think that as we talk about one of the greatest gifts in this work is not being alone. Being yes. able to be there for somebody. And so if yes. we feel as individuals that we're not alone in the journey of learning. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. My vision, I have such a big vision for it, too. And I, I, my vision, and Nicole, you haven't even heard this vision yet. My vision is to have all the transformational leaders in our world that have experienced the last breath with somebody to share their stories of illumination. Because I think those stories will give us this hope. I'm not exactly uh, crazy about the word hope, but they'll give us an, an insight into the way in which we can look at everything. Mm-hmm. And to share their stories and for other people to share their stories. Maybe the column will be called In the Last Breath or something of that nature. I don't know yet. It's just We're beautiful. It up as and we I, go along I know that we just have a couple minutes left, but I have a really big question okay. to ask you. So you were saying that to try to talk to people, you know, when they're healthy and they're well, saying if this were to happen or when this happens, do you have a favorite song or favorite music or favorite? Mm-hmm. Most people are so afraid to talk mm-hmm. to their parents or to talk to their spouses. How mm-hmm. do you suggest someone starts that conversation? I would suggest to say, first of all, I love you. I love you so much that I want to talk about every part of life with you, including what's going to happen at the end of our life. And I want to know if you're with somebody who's dying, per se, or even if you're with a parent who's not dying and they will die, I want to know if you could imagine it any way that you would want. Have you ever even given the the remotest thought of what you would like to happen? 
I want to know everything there is. It's called a life review. When somebody is dying, you can ask them about a life review. That life review helps them to feel like they matter in life, that their life was important. But even way before that, my clients today that I have are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They're all different age groups. We talk about how to live their best life. And then it's actually easier to talk about dying with somebody who isn't to a certain degree. So you, you start with saying, I love you. I want to know everything there is to know about you. And I want to know this part, too. And I want, to, I want you to know you can feel safe sharing with me what it is that you would love. What is your favorite music? I have a list of questions that people can, can talk to people about, and it yeah. makes it really easy. That's genius. I so appreciate that. And I love saying I want to talk about every aspect of life. Yes. Because that's really, I believe, what this show represents as well. It's how to lead and live a passionate life, whatever yes. that looks like, to fulfill yes. your heart's desires and your heart's dreams and that every vision and every hope and every spark comes true and that all right. the keys and the doorways and the techniques and the windows and the doorways and the bridges and the pathways to get that, to lead and live your happiest and best life ever from exactly. the very first breath to the very last breath. So it has been an honor and a privilege and a pleasure having you on the show. And I am so enamored with your work and so glad that you are on this planet assisting people to be the very best that they can be and live a life of joy and a life of happiness and a life of dignity. And even in the very end to be able to have all of those things that they've had through their life, which is love and support and laughter and yeah. happiness and fearlessness. Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, it, it's such a privilege. And so for myself, Nicole Brandon and Shelly Wiz, and we are wishing you, a passionate life and a joyful life and a glorious life filled with laughter and happiness and health. And may all of your wishes and dreams come true. And we look forward to seeing you here next week on Passionate Living.